Hi, I'm Jared. This is Suspending Disbelief. This is episode one, and I have my two brothers, John and Rob, joining me today. I'm not quite sure where the conversation is going to go. I have some ideas, but um, strap yourselves in and hopefully enjoy the ride. That, I hate that it says recording in progress. It's very annoying. But um, okay, so we are on, and this is um, suspending disbelief. And I wanted to jump into what that actually means because um, I think that's been a really, really big, important part of like my last four years. And like, if I was to quantify me being a drug addict, piece of shit, turning into what I feel like I am now, which is like a man of my word or something similar to that. Um, I was like thinking a lot about what uh, happened in that process. And that's what's made me super interested in any of the things I'm getting into, like with psychology and whatnot. But um, I think the biggest key was to suspend what I thought I believed and what I thought I disbelieved and allow there to be like a... um, open inpouring of perceiving information um and so the podcast i want it to be suspending disbelief as in we are i want to promote a a perceiving like in even within typology of like a perceiving function like where we just sit and take in information explore ideas type of a thing um and i want to i guess ask both of you what um that word does to you like rob does that word have a reaction in your body or in your mind when you yeah it's hard for me to understand it like but i think that's just because it's a double negative it's a double negative so my beliefs and then so i believe things and i disbelieve things which means i don't believe them right Right. (laughs) um and it it's like i don't think i ever purposefully decide or i I shouldn't say that i i'd like i try to do better i'm trying to learn how to suspend my disbelief and but it's very challenging for me to naturally be able to do that uh i have to i have to suspend my disbelief very consciously and and fight to prevent my disbelief from pulling, you know, from like grabbing back at my brain and thinking and telling me, no, 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 you don't, you don't believe that. Like kind of it. So it is, it's a tough, it's hard for me to even imagine like, um, and my conversation with you guys have helped a lot but that that idea of being like no let's just let's just say a bunch of things that aren't true and pretend like we know they're not true or we don't know whether or not they're not true you know like that's the obviously that's an absurd example but that's kind of where my brain goes like well yeah and it's so interestingly tied to that introverted thinking of your your, like your preference for cognition or whatever you would want to call it cognitive function um which uh, I don't want to go too far into it because I don't think listeners will um, know exactly what that is. I mean, we could go into it if we want to explain it, but that 
introverted thinking as your number one function being um, pretty concerned with what is correct and what is incorrect as a dominant place for you to be all the time, which is very different than mine and John's dominant place to be, which is like new, I like what if, what if, what if, um, and exploring pat new patterns, new patterns, new patterns, which is way easier being incorrect. Like I don't feel attached to a what if idea that's just totally incorrect. I'm like, oh yeah, haha. <laughs> Yeah, that was done. Yeah, <laughs> there's the idea that I heard from um, one of the, the folks that I like, personality hacker, where they, they have that firm a model they call the firm model. And they say that IP types of people or people that are kind of like uh, Rob's type that you're talking about that have like a predominantly introverted mode that's like based on a judgment tend to have a fixation with rightness. Um, and it depends on you know, whether it's like a logical rightness or an ethical rightness would depend on whether they're like a feeling type of person or a thinking type of person. So it's interesting because like, whereas you and I have more of like a fixation with like freedom of uh, thought and expression and feeling and stuff, you know, so. Yeah. And um, just a side note, like I think a really fun example of those two well i actually don't know this for sure but like i was listening listening to duncan trussell i don't know if you know who that is john but mm -mm. i think he could be an extroverted intuitive driver um and duncan he's trussell he's a comedian yeah he um he did midnight gospel i don't know if you ever saw that oh yeah yeah that's his that's his podcast yeah um, i yeah. think that has to be an extroverted intuitive. right 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 and it's just <laughs> all over the place and he's uh like um super entertaining for me to watch but his comedy is so different than an introverted thinker's comedy who is like more so pulling up um like absurd truths and i'm trying to think of a good example of someone that's doing that um well i guess uh bill burr right mm -hmm. totally well, different styles what were you gonna say yeah, it's true. Bill Burr does focus on that, even though I kind of think he's like a extrovert, but he, his comedy is mostly focused on the like introverted thinking type of stuff. Yeah. 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 And it, it's so interesting when you can start to see what um, preference or and maybe it's yeah, maybe it's his. Um, would you say that Bill Burr is a intuitive type or a sensing type? No, I think he's like an ESTP. I think he's like an yeah. extroverted sensor, introverted thinker, but I don't know for sure. I Which would so. be Rob's type, but... Yeah, uh, like a louder version of Rob. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. He's a lot loud. Like, he's pretty loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I find those two types of comedy very um, different and mm -hmm. noticeably different. And yet, like, I think it's extroverted intuition like me and John are driving in is very goofy maybe or like a joker or jester like um i think you've told me that once john and that yeah with me but um but anyway sorry i want to go back to suspending disbelief because it makes a lot of sense to me rob that there's like this um fortress of identity or of belief that um is where we feel safe it's grounding kind of right you know that's how i would describe it right and if things are coming in and and suggesting 
that you might be wrong, you want that thing coming in to be grounded in reality so that yeah, you're not feeling that. I want it to be as like easy to accept the new reality as possible. So I need a lot of, a lot of evidence or whatever, like that what you're telling me is going to be able to, to re like repair the damage that's being done by the new idea. Exactly right. Pointing yeah. poking holes in what it is that I believe. And so I, if it's I, a crazy abstract idea that has no footing. Um, yeah. It's really challenging to be like, well, first, it's challenging for me not to, for me to suspend my disbelief. But even when I do that, it's like, I immediately start thinking, so if that's true, then what, you know, like immediately it starts affecting, you know, the, my, how I perceive other, you know, the rest of my world. Um, right. I've been listening to this podcast about the Russian revolution. And it, this conversation is making me think like, probably... I, and I'd be interested in know whether or not you guys like it would be much more likely that I would be a supporter of a czar who has a God given right to lead because that is part of their culture or whatever. And it would be much more likely for you guys to be revolutionary uh, people that kind of think like, Oh no, like, look, like what, you know, just the, like that it might be much harder for me to question cultural rules uh than it is for you guys or like like especially when it comes to oh uh, i don't know is that do you, would would you say that like your types are more likely to be liberal or uh and my type is more likely to be conservative in terms of our like political leanings because of your ability to to like think outside and create like have new creative ideas that you know might someone like me might just think are too preposterous and the system's already functioning in a way. So why would we change something with an idea that doesn't have a like evidence a that proves that it's working? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting question and it's a complicated time today in 2022 to talk about liberal and conservative because um, the words are very like yeah. unclear so like um, these guys, a conservative is someone that believes that the czar is a, you know, God given leader or something and a liberal yeah. is someone that, you know, wants some representation. By right. Them. So, so it's if like, you think about so different, but in modern day, like that's sort of like, like uh, the argument for Donald Trump as a president is a little bit like that, like that he, like, he's kind of like, there's a lot of people who believe not so much that like God put him there, but like that the times needed this guy here. And yeah, he's rough around the edges, maybe immoral. Let's say I'm like a Christian and I believe that he's kind of, maybe I don't really like look up to him morally, but there's a lot of born again Christians who believe that he's like the right man for the time. And like, this is what we need. And it doesn't matter. Like, so I think of conservatism in terms of like being more aligned with like, look, let's worry about the core of society having basic rules and not worry about the edges of everything and all the little edge cases and all the problems that we're trying to solve for every single person. It's almost more of like a mainstream approach. So I do think that, um, and then I think of liberalism as a little more like, let's spend more energy trying to find the, like trying to sweep out the corners of society and help everything in all of the edge cases succeed as well. And let's kind of like make all of that part of our 
our mission, right? Like a wider circle of um, extending of values. Um, I don't necessarily believe that introverted thinkers are either more conservative or liberal um, than say introverted feelers. Um, and I don't really think that extroverted sensors are more conservative or liberal, liberal than extroverted intuitors. It's been my experience that a lot of intuitives in the Myers-Briggs world, like a, like seven years ago when Obama was in office um, and liberalism had kind of like a, a certain style, that a lot of intuitives kind of consider themselves liberal and they thought that um, liberalism is kind of like the only thing that makes sense. Um, and then more recently, a lot of intuitives consider themselves far more conservative and they're noticing a lot of like, they're kind of watching a lot of their friends who are like not paying attention to patterns. And they're like, I feel like those guys are just kind of following what makes sense to everybody and what makes sense to everybody in America around whatever city they live in is pretty much liberalism. So I've noticed that like intuitives have Shift. look a lot more conservative now because they are really noticing long-term pattern trends. And they're like worried about that. And they're like, Hmm, I guess it's not sustainable. Like I think intuitives worry about sustainability. Like, is this a sustainable system, but they don't necessarily worry, worry about it. Like on a daily basis. Um, they're, they, they just kind of, you know, so, so there's, if I could try to, if I'm going to try to make what I'm saying make a little more sense. There are elements of of um, intuitive uh, approach to pattern recognition and perception that trend toward liberalism, and there are elements of it that trend toward conservatism. And the ones that trend toward liberalism are maybe like um, the systems thinking of like, look, we can't put people in jail for making mistakes and committing crimes that they were pretty much destined to make. It's not as simple as cause and effect. Well, you made a bad decision, go to jail. It's like, no, look how this kid grew up. Look what he's been dealing with. Look at his situation. So like that's, you know, so an intuitive like pattern recognition of the big system of criminal justice might be like, we need to be softer on crime and a little more like reparative and restorative in our justice approach. But on the other hand, intuitives will be like, Oh, um, we have to acknowledge the reality that in the long term, uh, everybody can't have everything they want. Some people are going to fall through the cracks and it's very important to protect certain like of my values. And I'm not willing to like, in my case, I'm not willing to give up on like free speech, uh, for the sake of someone else feeling offended. And so when liberalism adopts a more like, um, like it goes to the very edges and says, no matter what your intent is, if you do something that is uh, received harmful by someone, you're committing some kind of a violence against them. I'm like, no, that's, I'm unwilling actually to go along with that kind of ideology because I see it as that'll rot out the underneath the whole thing and turn into a totalitarianism. So kind of looking ahead to where a traje trajectory goes, uh, will make me like pull back. I actually kind of think my, my intuitive nature keeps me more moderate. So like whatever the power structure is, I tend to be like, eh, I'm a little bit toward the center of that, you know? Yeah. No, that makes sense. Yeah. But I, I think like back to your original, or I guess that was 
the original question still, but the idea of like, um, I think that intuitive, like, are people like me, extroverted, intuitive, introverted feelers can, um, I guess what I'm trying to get at is like, I think a lot of people equate like artistry and like, um, musicianship and, um, the openness of like creative types as intuitive. Um, and you see a lot of that in a, like a liberal city. Mm -hmm. And so it could just be easy to sort of lump people together into that. Um, which is something that I've done a lot on accident. And I think, yeah, like what John was just explaining, like the, the openness that a creative person might have um, could be open pretty much towards anything in, in a sense. Um, and so you can't really predict. That it will lean one way or the other. Yeah. Although I remember, well, never mind. I don't want to, I'm not going to go to the big five stuff. Cause I, I, I was going to say that, I think there's a correlation between open openness and like um, liberalism in that okay. big yeah. five stuff, but I'm not positive about that. Um, yeah, I agree. There's probably other correlatives that are actually better for establishing that. Like, and but I but I do think that in any given in any given like societal time liberal being more liberal or more conservative has certain costs and benefits associated with it so like in 20 like 2022 one of the costs associated with being liberal is basically you're not really well supported in criticizing certain liberal values it's, you basically have to get on board or kind of not criticize it and so that's like a cost i'm not willing to bear so that forces me to be like separate from liberalism right yeah i feel similarly i i want to it's funny rob because you said you listened to a uh podcast on um what did you say russia's uh, the russian revolutions revolutions yeah i was listening to a podcast today on like the zeitgeist of russia up till like the book came out two years ago so it was up till like trump area or whatnot and uh it i'm just going back to this idea of like concrete information versus abstract information that um you have an easier time taking in concrete information and this podcast i was listening to is like the abstracted like talking about the the myths of the times and like what yeah. has built the from the czars to you know to soviet mm -hmm. russia and like the different influences in even just like the stories that people told each other and like the um the religion and the uh what's the word i'm looking for esoteric like magic and these different things that influence the culture to where it is now is super fascinating um and it, it was my doorway into understanding more about what's happening in yeah. russia and the ukraine right uh, it's a great example of how you and i are would go about trying to learn about something in different ways would right. be like the podcast I'm listening to, he's like, this happened, then this happened, and then this happened. And, you know, he does, like, it, it's, he does a good job at bringing in some of that, like, I mean, he talks about, um, 
Rasputin, you know, and his, his relationship with the czar and, and the czar's wife. I can't remember her name, but, um, you know, and, but it's all like, he's like, no, he wasn't a magician. Like there, you know, that was a big thing that people were worried about. And so they killed him because they were worried kind of maybe he had spells, but it, you know, it's interesting to think like he's describing it from the way that I would want to hear it, where in that podcast, he may go into what it was about Rasputin that like probably still permeates the culture of, of like Miss, you know, or it's, you know, that, he would be like this uh, wizard that, you know, that somehow got the ear of the leader of Russia. And, uh, you know, so it it is interesting to imagine or like to hear and realize that there's a bunch of different ways to learn about something like that, that, you know, I would, that, and that I have a preference towards like, a pretty basic timeline of something. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, which is, I, I, uh, I had, um, an experience on Saturday, um, with psychedelics and I went into the infinity of like what I would describe as maybe like a fourth dimensional universe folding in on itself over and over again. And I was going from a pinpoint of consciousness into infinity which was incredibly overwhelming and full of paradox and i did not like being there because and i wanted to continue to return to the pinpoint of awareness in time space and while while i was experiencing this i started to realize that um my identity is built off of these individual pinpoints of awareness in time space that i string together and call it jared and i um started to realize the importance of my history and not only my own history, but like the history of our society and our like, um, you know, we go back 12,000 years where we first started writing things or we have record of us first writing things down. And it's like, that's where the first pin that we've built everything we've built as of right now off of these in like these first pins in time and space. It's kind of interesting. And me and Rob, we talked about this once a long time ago. I don't know if you remember, we were talking about Einstein, but, um, but I am learning that I need to value the thing that you're valuing, which is like concrete pins of history. Yeah. Um, that we build our entire society off of. And I think that's also a part of my personality type to, maybe dismiss and then also overvalue um, in a weird um, polarized way history and memory. Um, But I'm also very curious to hear like, um, and I I hope that kind of made sense, Rob, like this idea that I'm... um, It does. I mean, it's a... it's kind of how I would imagine describing what it is like my, what, who I am, you know, like, you know, the, it's immediately I started thinking like, okay, a mushroom, like, or like, how do I relate to a psychedelic trip? You know, like, but the thing, like trying to describe what it feels like to be me or be a person that exists inside my head. That's a good way to describe this. Like, well, I know right now, what I'm thinking and saying like that, that feels like a pinpoint or something like it's a very small, but like accurate way for me to 
it's kind of like, like a meditation a little bit of being like, this is who I am here right now in my own head. And so that's kind of, that's how I kind of imagine what you're describing. Yeah, no, that's exactly it. And then like take a a pin from five minutes ago and you can then reference the difference between those two. And like, it's like a a feedback loop of self-referencing to all of these different pins that you've put that then re-updates the image of yourself in time um, and in space. It's very, it's been a really weird way for me to visualize like the building up of an ego. Um, So like looking at it in a different perspective than like typical Jungian or like, I don't even know. It just might be that I'm using different terms for um, what other, I mean, I'm sure tons of other people have experienced and seen and understand similar things, even not on psychedelics. But um, anyway, I I could get carried away and talk about this too long, but um, I want to, unless you have something to say, John. I wanted to ask Rob what you like about learning like the story of the Russian revolution in this kind of sequential way. Yeah. What does that feel like to take it in and, and um, how does that sort of. What's kind of like validating, I guess, of like the current narrative of like, um, well, I don't know. It's helpful because it helps me be more sympathetic and be like, okay, you know, it's the same thing when I was listening to the, Ray Dalio changing world order where he describes at the beginning of the chapter, he's like, I'm going to say a bunch of stuff about China that people don't want me to say, but he basically goes in there and like defends what a lot of people in the Western world are criticizing, you know, and it was helpful to have someone do that. And so for me to like, you know, I'm enjoying it because it's helping me realize that, there's it's a you know like the history of the country has a much bigger part to play in the current state of affairs than like what i would like to imagine or what i had thought someone losing his marbles yeah right like that you know people are saying like i listened to this thing this podcast someone mentioned hit um putin imagining like or re like kind of wanting to live this life maybe or recreate czarist Russia, you know? And so now I'm, I'm kind of like, Oh, okay. Like Russia had a czar in world war one, like, (laughs) you know, a hundred years ago, like not that long ago. Um, So it's this experience of being like their world, like the freedoms and whatever that the United States has, or the Western world has like established as fundamentals or whatever. You know, I, I just know, I know so little about Russia that that it's really mostly just like a, I want to be more sympathetic uh, and try to understand a little bit more about it rather than it just being like, yeah, a crazy guy that um, enjoys power. It, it seems to be, you know, and, and also I'm enjoying like the learning about socialism and, and like its roots and stuff like that but so it's partially politically motivated but also like trying to gain some empathy for uh the country and what it is and why it is the way that it is yeah so yeah like you're you're sort of like fleshing out your information 
taking in more information so you can feel more confident about understanding how the world works and stuff. I mean, here's the thing is I think that intuitive types do that really similar to sensor types. Like it really, in the end, I feel like a lot of it, it just comes down to taking in information, like a slight different preference for the way we get the information. And and like my, I, I will have a tendency to be fascinated by stuff that surprises me, for example, when I'm learning. So rather than like seeking a understanding that like solidifies my perspective, I will tend to enjoy stuff that appends my perspective. Um, and, uh, I, and I, I kind of am getting, I, I, and, and, you know, so a lot of people just don't believe that. So when they, they, like, I will always hear people be like, well, you know how it is. Like everyone already wants, everyone wants to believe what they already believe, or like everyone has a preference for their own ideas or like their biases or whatever. Um, but that's not my cognitive experience. My cognitive experience is that I get a lot of pleasure from learning a surprising thing that shows me that I was wrong about what I thought before. And I, I just, it's. Did you I, learn I, it, do you think, or do you, do you, have you felt that way? For yeah. So I remember when I was like a, like a teenager, you know, we all grew up Mormon and I was very Mormon. Jared, you were never very Mormon. Rob, you were medium Mormon. Um, yeah. So I was, I was the most Mormon. It's like uh, <laughs> little, little, uh, what's her name? Little Red Riding Hood. Whoever goes into the. Oh. Um, yeah, that's the Goldilocks. Goldilocks. Yeah. So I recall being perfectly content in my life and everything was wonderful, except that I was disappointed that I'd been born with all the truth. Because <laughs> I, I remember I was just like, I, I was very sincerely just so disappointed that I didn't get to like hunt it down. Huh. And, uh, and I, and I, I remember writing in my journal about this as like a teenager. Cause I wrote a lot in a journal back then. And I'd be like, you know, I really wish I had been born without the truth about Joseph Smith. <laughs> so I could have found it out. Sorry. If any Mormons are listening to this, I'm not trying to make a joke of whatever. Uh, it just feels a little weird to say it now, but like, it's like, I wished I could have like been one of these people out there in the world that didn't know yeah. so that I could find it and study it and be like, Oh my gosh, I found the truth. Yeah. I found the true church. And then I could go and join it and like align myself with truth. So I just was really deeply disappointed that I'd been born with it because I just felt like I was kind of getting shortchanged of the struggle. And, um, and then when I left the Mormon church, um, uh, and the reason I left when I was 19, uh, was that, um, before going on a Mormon mission, I, a lot of people will just kind of go sort of casually. They're like, all right, that's what I do now. It was my opinion that, or I felt like a spiritual perspective that I, I definitely am going to go on a mission, but I shouldn't go till I feel really like, till I really know that this is God's truth and that I could tell someone that. And if they left their family for this religion and they lost everything because of it, that that would be okay. Cause I know it's true. That was actually the way that it got framed in my head. I was like, what if I affected somebody by pulling them away? Um, specifically because when I, I did that in, uh, in a religious ceremony once when I like bore testimony of my beliefs and I felt like what I had said was alive. And then I noticed other people were affected by it. And I was like, uh Oh, so if I go on a mission and I tell people 
this is true. What if they like leave their family for it when I don't know? So that's kind of why I put the brakes on it. Okay. So I left because I studied it and studied it more. And I was like, I don't, I can't, I can't find out that it's true. It was really devastating when I left, but then later I realized that it's like hugely invigorating. It took years to know this, but invigorating to me to realize that no matter what you believe about the world, you could be wrong and it's okay. And there's still more to learn. And so like that, and then I remember that thing from my teenage years of being so sad that there wasn't more to learn basically that I basically had the truth. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's the inverse of what I now believe to be true. I, and so I used to believe I already kind of know all the important things to know. And that may be sad. And now I'm like, I'm an idiot. And that makes me happy. <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> I have very similar, uh, like, I get really excited when I stumble across something that I, that kind of shatters a previous belief of mine or understanding of the world. And it, in, including like feedback from people I trust. I don't always like feedback, feedback from people I don't know, but someone that I trust that is like, hey, um, maybe you should do this differently. Um, there might be an initial like ego response of like feeling uncomfortable, but I, I feel like a genuine sense of expansion of growth. And that's what I really like is being like, oh, I learned more. Oh, I learned more. And I feel like I'm yeah. slowly getting closer and closer to the infinite paradox. Well, so- and... I just want to note really quick. I sent a link in the chat that you guys should both check out since you both have some interest in like Russia right now. And obviously a lot of us are paying attention to the Ukraine and Russia thing. Um, and that video blew my mind. Um, and it's a professor explaining in his opinion, why uh, we've totally forced Putin's hand. Like that there's nothing weird about what he's doing could have been, to- it's exactly what he told us he was going to do all along and that he's reacting exactly like we would react if we were on the other side of this. It's an interesting argument. Basically, he's not crazy. He's not stupid. And he actually feels existentially threatened by our courting of Ukraine and allowing them to move toward Western ideals. And anyway, it's a really fascinating video. It's a example of something that kind of turned upside down my perspective. And I'm definitely thinking that I agree with this video. But I continue to like follow people on Twitter who are like totally on the opposite. Like I follow a bunch of people who are really strongly believe that like we need to get Putin uh, kicked, like, you know, pushed, like accidentally falling off a window, whatever thing. And, the, you know, these are like military folks who are Ukrainians and Russians and Russian American people who are really intelligent and articulating that Putin is making all these mistakes and stuff. But this guy's basically... It, it's the most interesting and it's just totally the opposite of what I thought. And so I would really recommend you guys watch it. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, I'm super excited to where this conversation went because when I was thinking about where I want this podcast to go in general is this idea of, well, you, you suspend disbelief to, um, to allow an opposite, maybe something that challenges a belief of yours that then creates some sort of paradox inside of you, right? Like you all of a sudden have, what you believed and something that you would typically disbelieve, but now it's in with what you also believe in. They're opposing each other. And this is like Carl Jung's idea of like individuation is slowly incorporating opposites into the ego so that you're essentially you 
start to see not just cold, but also hot. And then you realize that it's a gradient of one single thing and that that paradox of cold and hot existing at the same time is because it's an it's actually one single um thing that we have just um pulled into duality and then opposed them uh, that's not the right way to say it but do you, well, does that make it, sense it makes Rob? sense to me but but i wonder like so is there a gradient from true to false i mean and i know that like true to false is like subjective but like say like one to zero like oh, that's a stupid example well no that's a great example because think of it like this uh one being a, f a finite pinpoint of awareness in the infinite all and then the zero being the infinite all um and there's the paradox of am i, am I the pinpoint or am i the infinite all experiencing itself through a single pinpoint um, so what about like so say if there what's the smallest molecule that the human species knows uh, an atom right like a quark or something what are they called the or a string yeah quarks maybe inside of, yeah is quarks that smaller like, is that inside of an atom or something I think it's it's like three levels down there's like okay. atoms which are made up of like electrons and stuff electrons okay. are the tiniest ones and they are made up of i think strings which i think are made up of quarks so those are made up of <laughs> universes <laughs> so like i guess what i'm wondering is if there's ever a situation where there isn't a gradient like where there's ever zero like literally nothing to one and there isn't something that can be seen as a progression from zero to one but it's like it's from nothing to something does that make sense Rather yeah, than I mean, being I think like, that's a, a great question. Complicated question, yeah. Like, if you ask a mathematician to show you, there's some weird stuff they can do looking at between two whole numbers. There's an infinity of numbers between any two numbers. Um, and so... Uh, there is. Like, uh, that's, that's real? Yeah. What? There's an infinity of points between any two points. Got it. Okay. Any two points that are not the same point, <laughs> there's an infinity of points between them. <laughs> because <laughs> if it exists what is that it can be divided basically okay. <laughs> like a point is only a thing in theory right uh so yeah <laughs> here's here's what I, I well no i don't know we shouldn't get into like yeah wait why not what know. were you gonna say uh i was just gonna say that like this question that you just mentioned rob the, one of the first things i think about is like the idea of going from point to much more than point kind of like the theory of um what happened in the um oh the big bang or the something? big bang okay and and i don't know a lot about that theory except for that i think it kind of rises out of just extrapolating kind of like if you're like oh i just got hit like by a car i could actually rewind and see where they came from it's like if we look at the direction things are going you can rewind and, and like mathematically rewind it all the way back and be like oh yeah looks like uh 14 billion years ago it was not anything there except for a single like it would have just run into itself or something i think that's kind of like how we come to the big bang theory yeah but one thing that's worth thinking about is that um <laughs> so when something moves at the at almost the speed of light, um, the space in which it moves, I'm going to say this wrong. 
all of our uh, nuclear uh, our uh, cosmology physicists listening, forgive me. <laughs> but basically, there's a contraction of physical space. So the faster you move, the more space that you're in contracts or you or you expand or something. So a photon moving at the speed of light through the universe, or let's say it's moving just short of the speed of light. Um, the distances between here and there become not quicker to traverse, physically shorter. Sure. So if you move slower through them, then you physically have to move X, but if you move faster, you only have to move X minus a certain amount. So the actual physical reality contracts at the speed of light it contracts basically to zero which would mean that um like the universe can be kind of traversed from end to end sort of instantaneously so if you think about any given point on that kind of a spectrum like let's say you took two points that are like right next to each other for one thing they'd be like pushed together but for some other entity that's moving slower, they'd be way further apart. Sure. So there's a weird, at the exact same time too, those both could be, depending on the observer's experience, it's like a totally different shaped universe. And so it makes me think that even when we think that something is like from here to here, if you were moving at a different speed, it would compress to a continuum in a certain way. Like I almost can, I can kind of think that there's almost no way you could get away from that continuum. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, a so, perception uh, of A to B to C might be the case, but in reality, I think it's there's never zero to one. So it would be something like if the light that's reaching us and there was another type of light that was being produced that moved slightly slower than the sun's light, the actual distance or the actual light travels, yeah. that light travel would be different, even if it originated. Yeah right next to each other yeah like if there was like a little coach that gave it ribbons every like yeah inch that it moved like it would get more ribbons wow it went further how um <laughs> how can they know that how can like, <laughs> it seems like well yeah I mean, because stephen hawking told us so <laughs> um this is what einstein did was he oh, was okay. like he was like uh newton's laws don't don't work perfectly um, the only, and the only way that this could all make sense, this is literally what Einstein did. He's like, so I've got an idea. Um, the, the math doesn't make sense when things start moving really fast. So what if we're not measuring it wrong? What if it's true that when things are moving really fast, what if we decided that the math has to work? So then what we would, re what would require for this equation of like, me going this far in this much time at this speed equals a known quantity, but me going a certain, a different speed, like near the speed of light, when we track that, the math doesn't work. And he's like, what if the math is working, but we're just, we're just confused because we didn't realize that space could contract, like actually contract. And that was his, that was his, he's like, cause then the math works. So that's actually what that theory is. is it's like a respect for the mathematical reality it, and so instead of us thinking in terms of like, oh, yeah, space is all solid. He was like, no, there's a space time continuum that bends and shifts. And depending on how fast an observer is moving, um, space is different for it. Wow. Not like not their perception of it. The actual space is different for it. So that means that the universe 
is like a lot weirder of a thing than we realize. Yeah, it makes me start thinking about like there's the movement uh, variable, but there's also in my mind, and I it would be fun if you could help me figure out what I'm trying to think here, but there's the um, awareness, like levels of awareness. So it's like, I'm trying to figure out how to explain this, but like if you could move well i guess it gets into too much of a like metaphysical like spiritual thing because i i'm trying to understand my experience on saturday like this was bizarre where i was experiencing what felt like um the time space continuum uh folding in on itself so i was all of it simultaneously like i literally was like i thought of an idea and then I would immediately see the opposite idea that then was the opposite truth and I could do that with anything where I was like oh everything and nothing I kept I was laughing because I was like yes and no um it was really interesting (laughs) Um, and I was also like I could go insane at any minute if I lost perspective of the pinpoint that I am in in this moment um and what I'm trying to get at is like this experience of the totality of the mind of the universe or whatever it is, uh, like the time space, if it could be experienced um, all at once because of some variable in like awareness. If Does that make sense? Like that the there's the, the movement, the speed, but then there's some, some other Y axis or something that is awareness. Well, that's a great, a great, a great question because so there's two i think that there's like two different ways of thinking about this and there's what i would kind of disparagingly call the the very uh, the kind of weak minded way of thinking about it where you're like well quantum mechanics tells us that everything and nothing are the same and anything and like it's almost like and then like and so therefore like the the secret is that your vibrational energy will make you rich or whatever. It's like this kind of like really shallow version of that. But then there's a, but the weird thing is that I actually think that those sort of, I guess you might call them like kind of cheap metaphysical theories. They probably actually get a lot closer to the truth than someone who's trying to like map it out on a blackboard and can't ever get it because they're kind of just approximating what it seems to seems to be happening. So I guess the the stronger like articulate defense of kind of spiritualism or of metaphysical ideas would be to say like kind of like what you're saying like look if space and time and experience are this flexibly different from my perception in known ways it seems reasonable to me to hypothesize that they are also flexible on these other axes and by mechanisms that we don't understand, you know? And so in other words, like that maybe if like in some way Einstein was like our experience and our, our, our measurement of things moving and stuff is giving us this weird data that's explained best by some shifting of space time that we don't understand. And so it's kind of analogous to say like my own personal experience gives me this experience that's like i'm going to put that as the the equal sign like that's the truth so there's some mechanism that's bending this other stuff or must be 
in ways that I don't understand to get to that truth. You know, like I could see that being, like, it's a, I think it's a justifiable stance, you know? Yeah. Um, it just gets Probably. used to sell like a lot of essential oils. So I'm sort of <laughs> skeptical Speaking of it. Of, but, <laughs> and I have nothing against that's the funny it's like i don't have anything against against uh, i was things. trying to make a joke yeah and now from our sponsors now <laughs> wow oils uh just to be clear this is cedars to make me smell like a cool like wood man. yeah <laughs> yeah it's good i uh it lasts me about seven eight years each bottle yeah um but yeah anyway it's all of that experience that i brought up and i like what you were just saying john and i think that that kind of does explain what i was trying to maybe think about is like if this exists then that same pattern could be placed on top of this uh consciousness thing but probably not very provable and uh but then i want to go back to um that experience of being like, oh, I am a single pinpoint of the universe experiencing itself in time-space and that um, without any history, I am just um, aware. Like, I don't have an identity. And so this both happens on an individual level, but as a culture as well. And so you look at, and it just made me realize how important it is to save the history so that you can continue to build on top of it, which also made me like the end of Game of Thrones more, which is really interesting. I came out of, <laughs> I came out of this experience and I was like, they, they nailed it and they don't even know it. <laughs> if you get high enough, you'll like the end of Lost. <laughs> going to take a few more yeah. stems. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I... Uh, I think it's also, whatever, it's interesting to have had that experience going into it, not caring about history as much, coming out of it being like, mm. I, I want to remember my memories more. Well, it's interesting that like, it, there's, well, I don't know if this has any relationship to what it is that you're saying, but I feel like it does. The lack of biological appreciation for our own history you know or like it's it's strange that there's not any and maybe there is not really though like you know we have so many biological preferences and tendencies that are programmed into us by our dna or whatever it's do you think it's purely a like a development because of our ability to like because of our the development of our brain that we've learned that it that we can remember and appreciate history and that it, or that there's like enough like it just seems weird to me that there isn't a biological drive to well i think that that it gets into the layers of reality or, or of experience like there's the biological level but then there's the psycho and spiritual level and so the psycho psychological level and I don't know if I'm explaining this the correct way, but there's the the idea of, uh, um, well, how do I, what was I, where was I going? 
I'm thinking of like remembering where you stored your food during the winter or remembering right. um, where the animals migrate to so you can follow them or whatever. Like there's these um, memories that then, well, sorry. So even further going to like fish or birds who fly to the same place every year, there's this, would you consider that like biological memory? Probably. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it, 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 I guess as soon as there starts being like what I would consider culture, it, it shifts a little bit. Like it's a little different where it's like, yeah. So I guess that's what it is. Is like, it's a different, it becomes a different thing where it's not as easy to look at it and think like, well, of course that's valuable to remember. It's because we need we to go choice. here because our, our, yeah, our, like, our, our children survive here, and that's where we were born. Well, that's so what's so interesting. Right, well, that, so, like, I think the evolution of it being the fish who swims back to the same place every year to where we are now is, or, I don't know how that happened, but what I notice through learning more about cognitive function and typology and personality types, like Myers-Briggs stuff, is you start to see a certain percentage of a population is going to have a preference for history and remembering it. Um, and so there's some way, like some uh, blueprint, and maybe it's in the DNA, who knows, that creates a preference for that history that you're talking about. Um, yeah. All three of us here, well, me and John probably actually have more of a preference for it than even you, although it's in our fourth function, our like more weak function of so introverted sensing which is going inward and into your memory and maybe um collecting or perceiving sensate data through memory is how i kind of see it um and that's not even in your top four rob and there's people like dad our father who uh his top preference is that and you see him saving his new newspaper articles and has hundreds of journal entries and like or probably thousands mm. and thousands of journals. hundreds <laughs> he has uh, hundreds of journals that have yeah, been filled with yeah. <laughs> right but he has a, a huge cognitive preference toward remembering history right he's yeah. so excited about learning about the the ship that our great great uncle went down on in the middle of the ocean or whatever which for me growing up i was like i found it so hard to connect to it but i understood the value of it um which made it makes a difficult relationship interesting interesting how dad is more interested probably in personal history right because he's uh isfj so he's focused on his history and the contribution of his history to the world. And he's not very interested in like the broader history where both you and I, Jared are like the opposite of that, where we're interested in this aspirational way in condensing all of history into some meaningful way in which we play our tiny little buggish part. Um, What do you mean? Explain that a little more. I think so. Dad is not intrigued by, like, um, he's interested in the the ships where his uncles died. He's interested right, in right, right. he's interested I, in the history of the Mormon Church. He's interested in history that is tied directly to him. I think um, 
I think it, introverted sensing kind of starts there and then it builds out toward um, what we know about ourselves into this extroverted intuitive kind of exploration world of like, so he's in theater. Like that's almost like his extroverted intuition. Like how do I take all the things I know about myself and then go kind of play with them in this world that's broader on the stage. Right. But not, whereas like you and I are doing an opposite where we're like, what is the real, the real broad historical realities in the world? Um, and, you know, you may be more interested in them almost like at a metaphysical level, like what is the history of the human soul, right? Like the archetypical history of yeah. like the way that we're built. Um, it's not, it's very depersonalized. It's not all about you. It's about actually kind of an extroverted intuition. Extroverted intuition is a highly unbiased, depersonalized thing. Uh, that gets me into trouble in relationships all the time where I, uh, We'll be in the middle of a fight and all of a sudden I'll see a pattern and I'll be like, whoa, this thing is happening. And it's like I'm a third person now. And whoa, like, you just did that bitch thing again. <laughs> this is just my extroverted intuition. I'm out. Yeah, I just got to tell you this thing. <laughs> I'm seeing how you're, you're acting out again. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, that's what it comes off as. And then uh, I realize... I'm being a complete ass. It's inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I wanted to ask, like, it probably also doesn't help that the population now, I'm assuming, has big is bigger now than it ever has been. And the like obviously these like even the evolution. As far of as we know. Soul, yeah. So but like what would you say? People who think that maybe I don't know, the last 12,000 years, is that how long, like, yeah. agricultural, I, I, I don't know. Um, Something like that. Yeah, ish. Yeah, that's like the... Okay, that's what yeah. they think when... But, the domestication of the dog or something. Right. <laughs> um, Probably not. It, it's interesting to imagine, like, that question that I asked about why it is that we're not more interested, and then, but the the difference between the world that we're living in now compared to what we were living in when we need to remember like where to go to survive, right. you know, like there's so many things that we might be learning and that we are learning. It's like, you know, I, the reason Reese's peanut butter cups, you know, like you eat it and your body's like, you, you might not be able to find food again. So just eat as many of those as you can because they're delicious and they're like, you know, they're giving you energy and there's a lot of them. So like, you know, it's this mm -hmm. like biological thing where, I, I, you know, I know a bunch of reasons not to be eating them, but like the way they look and the fact that there's a million of them and it's like this, mm -hmm. you know, so it's interesting to think about when that stopped, like, was it just the industrial revolution or was it like communities coming together or, you know, what was it that, if there's think if there's a point in time in which you could point at the evolution of humankind in the last twelve thousand years and say at that point there started to be too many out outer world influences that are preventing us from like I bet our, it's sorry I know I I don't I understand know. the question so I'm wanting to make sure I understand it so you're saying what causes the shift away from well, so I'm just, I guess I'm saying like the probably, well, I, 
you know, there's like these, it's kind of a confusing question. I don't really know that I'm actually asking a question, but there's like these, these thing. I, my original question was, why is it that there isn't something that manifests itself more clearly in us that helps us understand the value of learning from our own history or like the, uh, mm, okay. I think from my opinion, I think maybe there is, and we don't recognize it. Like I'm in New York and I have this calling in a deep meditation to go home, like to my home. It's kind right. of interesting, but also, I think about the ebb and flow of civilization and the rise and fall of Rome and the different, there's probably, you could probably trace the importance of history and, um, and when it becomes unimportant, there, it might be changes. It might be inverse to what I'm thinking or it might, I don't know if that's true or not, but um, something like that. That's yeah. an example of maybe you could trace it. So my thought is that I want to, I'm looking at the population of the earth over time. Uh, like 2,000 years ago, what was the population of the earth? 15, 16 people. G Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus plus 12. Um. I'm having a hard time doing this. I put into Google population of Earth 2000 Earth. <laughs> Let's try that again. Years ago. Wait, it says 6000. Okay, that's a million. Wait, hold on a second. Ten thousand BCE. Okay, here we go. So the reason I was looking this up is that okay cool i'm gonna share my screen okay never mind i'm not disabled uh, well, um hold on there you go okay now i'm gonna share my screen okay check this out so wow these are millions so um, I feel like that's not right. It's estimating a bill, uh, 10 billion, 10,874. Oh, I see. That's the future. Okay. So here's us right now. 7 billion, 8 billion right here, like in there. Okay. Yeah. So down here we have 2 billion. Wow. Uh, there would be like 1 billion around here. Hold on. When we're at 1,000, okay, 1850 is 1 billion. Okay, half a billion people. Okay, so what I'm wanting to say is that 800 million people, right, right around here, 1750. So if we like nuclear bombed ourselves into smithereens um, and killed 90% of the population of the earth, we would throw ourselves back to... 1750, 1850, less than like, so that's like 250 years. So what I would propose is that we happen to be in a period of time where we are like expanding like crazy population, right? But if we 
even if we nuked ourselves back to this time when there's only 10,000 years BCE, there's only 2 million people on the planet. I would propose that there's no need to answer the question about like, why um, are there not like these mechanisms or are there these mechanisms to help us like learn from our mistakes? Because the evidence in my mind suggests that an easier hypothesis is just to say that, well, we've had a good run here just because all we have to do is get people pregnant. Um, and the more times you get people pregnant, uh, the better. And that's the end of it. Like literally that's the only thing that the species yeah. has to do to, to do this. And then, um, and then you have some lucky breaks that results in like, uh, well, lucky or unlucky, depending on your perspective, but agricultural revolution um, which is like what led from even smaller populations to this. And then you get like the Romans and this, you get like the dark ages here, scientific revolution. So the point I'm actually trying to make is that, um, that I feel like it's a little bit like saying like as an, an ant who's like on a tiny little, um, piece of wood, it gets like tossed into the ocean and they land on it and they're like, Hey, everything's okay. Like I'm on this huge piece of wood. And then they realize they're just about to die because they just have such a small perspective. So yeah. I do, I, I think that as a species, we are a little bit weak in the areas that you've described because there's never enough evolutionary beneficial pressure to make us change. Like there's literally never in the history of the world until 1950, there's never been a, box of chocolate big enough that it was dangerous to eat the whole thing every time you found one. Yeah. So there's no way that our brains could evolve to like, be like, Oh, that's a bad idea. There's just no way. Cause yeah. any time that you found something that tasted that good, it was okay to eat the whole thing. Even if it gave you some diarrhea, it's okay. The calories are probably worth it. There's very few times that. So all of this, and this is just the, this is only a uh, 5% of human history of like, you know, of our species. This is so there's another 95% beyond that tale um, of just Homo sapiens, just people like us that if we kidnapped them and brought them up here, they'd pretty much fit in. So, um, if we like could time machine back, I mean, so um, I think that it's more likely that we're in sort of a bubble of um, beneficial time, a, a, a little bit of time that, and, and I, and I also, I actually have just started to zoom out so far in my perspective on humanity that I'm like, well, even if we like nuke ourselves into smithereens, we'll be back here in like a thousand years. Right. It, so, that, like that timeline there is so short. It's so short. So, so like we could nuke ourselves down to 1% of the population. That would be right here. That would take us. Um, that would mean that within 4,000 years, there's a possibility of rebuilding society to this level. So if, if you think of how long the time scale is of our species, this is, this is what I was thinking as I was, I was realizing that we worry about having created like nuclear weapons. We worry about like destroying ourselves as a species, but I've started to realize there's a huge difference between destroying ourselves as a species and almost destroying ourselves as a species. Right. If well, we only almost do, I'm actually pretty optimistic that like uh, the intelligence of the human mind is so incredible that we're basically 
destined to survive until we wipe out every last one of ourselves, which is kind of interesting. So anyway, the way evolution works is it's like once it finds something that works, it doesn't look around for things that work. It's mindless, right? Yeah. Well, if it, something's working, there is never going to be a change to it. So yeah, we could all start dying of, of diabetes and cancer at age 40. doesn't matter. It's still, there will still never be any biological incentive to stop eating sugar, salt, and fat as long as we can make babies before and get them raised up to make their own babies before we die. That's it. It's the only yeah. thing that evolution cares about, which is interesting. Yeah. So it really, it, that would be the question is like, I mean, the question I asked is answered very simply by saying, well, there's no incentive to learn that because it doesn't mm -hmm. prevent us from like anything that has happened in history hasn't prevented humankind from continuing to procreate. So there would be no incentive for our, you know, for us to evolve in a way from our history. Right. Yeah. The only, the only things that we learn biologically are things that kill us or kill our babies. And we don't learn them. Our genes learn our genes. You know? Basically we don't learn anything ever. <laughs> but you could think of it as the universe learning it or as like yeah, whatever, whatever the larger consciousness is, is learning, you know? And I actually found this really optimistic when I thought of it lately. Like if you think about if, um, if civilization gets to the state of um, a place where it has uh, technology. So let's call that like 1800 or something then it's only a matter of like 300 years before we're like trying to leave the planet. <laughs> um, maybe a thousand years before we definitely succeed at leaving the planet. Let's say that there's a 1% chance that we colonize the universe over the next thousand years. And let's say there's a 10% chance that we nuke ourselves down to 10% of the population and have to start over. That actually means that over the span of like the next million years we're almost guaranteed to colonize the universe <laughs> also nuke ourselves into smithereens a few times so anyway that's kind of the perspective i've started to take on it yeah <laughs> yeah as long as we don't destroy ourselves 100 percent, that's important right it reminds me of this plan. oh you're muted oh am I? oh you you're still me? muted test one two For am some i reason, muted yeah maybe can hear you. You it's you brother um now i feel dumb <laughs> um you can't hear me john test one can you two. Hear me? i can hear you rob um i was gonna say it reminds me of this plant that i almost killed um and just about 10 percent of it survived and it's it's gonna come back um did i turn off oh did john turn off his speakers you need yeah. those to hear brother um maybe his headphone died except for we could hear him but hear him but it would move his mic to his computer here's what yeah. i'm thinking let's uh let's call it a show and then um if oh you can hear me now um well i'm trying i'm trying to think if uh how long we've been going but i think that with that with the optimism of the ten percent, or how much? How many people need to survive? I don't think very many do. I think that 
we can wipe ourselves out almost entirely. If I, all we really need is the billionaires in their bunkers. If they survive, then it's <laughs> yeah. So, all the, I wonder if they are um, capable of some of the normal human behaviors that are needed for survival, like uh, companionship and. Um, like, no, and I'm not even being facetious. I'm curious if, like, their ability to make that much money um, inflicts or affects their ability to also be communal in a sense. And um, so I would say probably not. Like, if the whole world changed and they were in a bunker, they would still be like the kind of people who are like leading, but they probably are going to have their family there and they're going to have children. And those kids are. And then yeah. the, the children are going to have to have babies together. <laughs> We'll talk about that next week. <laughs> I mean, it's if this is a if the pattern exists, it probably exists in the opposite direction, and so we probably all came from brothers and sisters. If you think about it, that's what the Christians are telling us, at least. <laughs> and with that, I think we should be done. Um, and thanks right. for listening. And I'm gonna stop the recording. How much are Starting what? When are when are you gonna send us our checks? Yeah. <laughs> when I get my rate? first ad, sir. Which okay, all right. Those uh, nuke uh, <laughs> yeah. radiation black, pills. Black rock radiation bombs. <laughs> 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 awesome. Well, I love you, brothers. I, Thanks, brothers. Yeah, good job. You guys will see you. We'll I'll see, see you all very soon. Yeah. Let me the link so I can watch myself talk. <laughs> I will. See you later. Bye. Bye.